What a blessed uh, day and opportunity for us to gather together and worship. And uh, I'm so glad that you're here. Aren't you glad to be in God's house together today? Gathered with God's people, worshiping the Lord together. And uh, what a wonderful and glorious day for us to serve the Lord together today. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to open it and find, it with, me, uh, find with me the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14. We've been in this series of messages. We'll pick it up today in the 14th chapter. But before I preach today, I want to take just a few moments and just talk to you as a church family. I just want to share as a pastor of our church just a couple of thoughts with you today. First of all, I love Bethel Baptist Church. I love our church. Amen. I love being a part of this church. I'm excited about what God is doing and how he's blessing and uh, the shifts that we're making and about going forward in the future. The future is really great for our fellowship and our church. And I look forward for us going together, together uh, in the Lord and following him and experiencing the blessings that he has for all of us. Amen? Listen, we're making some really important and needed strategic shifts in our ministry, and uh, that's so that we might more effectively carry out the mission that God's called us to, because he's called us to this great mission. But let me just share something with you, because I know there's always some anxiety when we make a few little changes. I, under I understand let me just reassure you in two or three things. Number one, we are not changing the core values of this fellowship. Number one, we are committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And Bethel is his church. It's not ours church, not mine. It's his. Amen? And we're committed to him as the Lord and the head of our church Second thing we're committed to and will never change, we are committed to the proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody should say amen right there. Because it, this thing is not about ourselves. It's all about his redemptive work for us. And we need to proclaim the gospel to each other because we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. And we need to pray the, proclaim the gospel to ourselves, proclaim the gospel to one another, and proclaim the gospel to a broken world, that Jesus Christ is the only one who can make a difference in your life. We're only saved by grace through faith in him. Number three, we are committed to the Bible as the inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient word of God. And we will not depart from it. Instead, we want to get closer into it. And we want to study his word, read his word, pray his word, memorize his word, teach his word, and fellowship around his word in the fellowship of the Spirit because we believe that the Bible addresses the deep issues we all face in our life. So we're not going to move away from the word we just want to move closer into the word as a family of faith. Amen? Number, three, number four, we are committed to love one another. 
we're in a community together. We're in faith together. We're in fellowship with other, together. We're going to encourage one another, love one another, be in relationship and in community with one another. And that's our desire. So as we begin these community groups, it's about us fellowshipping with one another around the Word of God, letting Him change our lives. And we're committed to this. Listen. We're committed to worshiping Jesus Christ. Not ourselves, but Him. So we're going to sing about Him. And we're going to sing about God's love. And we're going to sing about Jesus' work for us on the cross. And we're going to sing about God's glory. And we're going to sing about our blessed hope. And we're going to sing about heaven. And we're going to sing about our salvation. And we're going to sing about the gospel of the Lord Jesus and worship him. Amen? And we want to sing with passion and joy and from our hearts. Praise the Lord. And we want to lavish all of our praise on him because he alone is worthy of our worship. Amen? We're committed to not only worship, but we're committed to pray. Pray for one another. Pray for our community. Pray for our city. Pray for our nation. Pray for our world. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for the lost. Pray for the hurting. Be a people of prayer. We're committed to evangelism. Sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in this broken world. It's the only hope. We need to be bold in proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So I'm just asking you to join me in this great mission. Attend. Be in worship. Pray. Join me in praying for our city and for our world. Serve and give. Find a place of ministry and serve in the life of this church. And then let's be united in spirit and in purpose as a church. Amen? Can I share with you the greatest threat to a church is usually not from the outside. It's almost always from the inside. Let's don't hurt each other. Let's go together. Now, concerning worship, I can't not, we cannot pick out music that everybody will always like all the time. That ain't going to work. Won't happen. But praise God, we're going to gather and worship passionately about Jesus and make him the focus of our worship and praise. We want it to be creative and we want it to be live and real, and genuine, and from our lips to the Lord and from our hearts. Amen? Now listen, I like to listen to a pretty eclectic sound myself. I listen to lots of stuff. Thank God I can listen to whatever music I want to during the week, during the day, when I get in the car in a minute, after church. I don't know what I'm going to listen to. I may listen to Ricky Skaggs and Kentucky Sunday. And if you're not a bluegrass fan, you just don't know what that's about. 
I may listen to Bill and Gloria Gates, and I may listen to Phillips, Craig, and Dean, or I might listen to Fernando Ortega, or I might listen to Jim Brinkman. I'm reading you my playlist, by the way. <laughs> or I might listen to Joy FM, or I might listen to the London Philharmonic. Or I might listen to Creedence Clearwater Revival, just don't tell anybody. Or the Eagles. I love George Strait, and so I'm so I don't condemn them. So I listen to a lot of things. And I enjoy it. And you get the privilege to do that too. But we won't have all those sounds in here on any Sunday. But we are going to focus on Jesus Christ. And we're going to love him and adore him and go together. Amen? And so I want you to go with me. I'm asking you, go with me. And let's focus our eyes on Jesus. Because he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen? One other thing I want to say to you, I'm committed to, for Bethel to be a multi-generational church. A multi-generational church. Not a millennial church only, <laughs> that we ever would be. Not a senior adult church only. Not just my demographic only. But I want our, we all need each other, learn from each other, teach each other. I want Bethel to be a church where there's great-grandpas and great-grandmas in our church and grandmas and grandpas in our church and moms and dads in our church and sons and daughters in our church and grandchildren in our church. And we're all learning about the Lord together, going with the Lord together in community with one another. I think that God wants his church to be multi-generational, multi-demographic, and I want us to go together to be God's people because we all need each other and we need to learn from each other and let's be healthy and grow together and go together doing like God. Won't it be joyous to be serving the Lord and look across the room and you see your own children and grandchildren serving the Lord Jesus and they're on fire for him. And so let's make whatever change we can to make sure that we become a vibrant, multi-generational church that's on fire and in love with the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. I don't want Bethel to become another SBC evangelical statistic. And it's happening all over the world where churches that once were vibrant have lost vision and purpose and have just become serving only themselves and become so inward and inward looking, excluding other generations and becoming once vibrant, now atrophied, declining, becoming smaller, ineffective, and just an older church that has lost an impact in the community where it is. 
This is happening all over the country. A thousand churches a year close their doors in SBC Love. And I don't want our church to ever be that. We must embrace the future and go together and be the people of God. Will you go with me? Let's do it together. And oh, what fun we're going to have on the journey. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for this church family and the great joy and high privilege to be a part of a community of faith that's committed to going on mission together to fulfill your purpose to live for you. Father, help us not to become so self-centered and make it all about us. But help us to be willing to listen to your spirit, commit ourselves to one another, and keep our focus on Christ. And help us to go forward, trusting you. And Father, we're trusting you to grow and to build your church. And we're going to give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome. Well, that was kind of a sermon, but let's look into God's Word together today. If you have your Bible, Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14. Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14 is where we're at today. And, um, We're going to begin with verse number 32. So if you have your copy of God's Word, Mark's Gospel, chapter number 14, beginning with verse number 32. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, begin with verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little farther, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Daddy, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not I what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit in day indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy. and They did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time, and he said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? 
It's enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See? My betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi! And he kissed him. And they laid their hands on him and seized him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but the scriptures, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. These are the last very hours of our Savior's life. As we looked last week in the upper room when they had Passover meal together and he instituted the Lord's Supper, he told them that one of them would deny him, betray him. Later, when they leave, they sing a hymn together and they go out to the Mount of Olives and as they're making their way there, he tries to warn them and tell them that they are going to deny him. He says the scripture is going to be fulfilled. They will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And so they make their way, all of them, toward Gethsemane, except for Judas, who's left to go and betray Christ. And so they come to this garden with an olive grove, named Gethsemane. It was a place of prayer and retreat, often for Jesus and his disciples. And it's in this place, there's this anguish of prayer. This is a very sacred text and moment. We can all speculate about what he feel, would feel or the suffer, the anguish that he was suffering but he was dealing with the wrath that he was about to endure. He asked his disciples, pray with me, but they all kept falling asleep. And there's this cup that he's about to drink, and it's a cup of suffering, it's a cup of sorrow, it's a cup of anguish. And in this anguish of soul, He was coming to surrender himself to the very will of the one who sent him. Folks, if there had never been a Gethsemane, there would never be a Calvary. And if there was never a Calvary, there would never be an empty tomb. 
If there was never an empty tomb, there'd be no hope for us. And we would be under our sins. A modern hymn written by Stuart Townsend and Keith Getty is called Gethsemane Song. It goes like this. To see the King of Heaven fall in anguish to his knees, the light and hope of all the world now overwhelmed with grief, what nameless horrors must he see to cry out in the garden, Oh, take this cup away from me, yet not my will but yours, yet not my will but yours. To know each friend will fall away and heaven's voice be stilled, for hell to have its vengeful day upon Golgotha's hill. No words describe the Savior's plight, to be by God forsaken, till wrath and love are satisfied, and every sin is paid, and every sin is paid. What took him to the wretched place? What kept him on the road? His love for Adam's cursed race, for every broken soul. No sin too slight to overlook, no crime too great to carry. All mingled in this poisoned cup. And he drank it all. The Savior drank it all. The Savior drank it all. Amen. What is this cup of suffering that Christ drinks and is set before him? First of all, it is, it is indeed, I would call it a cup of testing, wasn't it? It was a real trial of his soul. It was real and genuine. Look with me in verse number 33 in the text. It says, he took with him Peter, James, and John. He was very distressed and very troubled. There's anguish and turmoil inside. He says, my soul is deeply grieved, sorrowful to the point of death. Stay here. Stay alert. Keep watch with me. He was suffering. He went a little beyond them. He falls to the ground and begins to pray if it's possible that this hour could pass away from him. And he's saying, Father, Father, Daddy, Father, all things are possible. Remove this cup from me. And then he said, not what I will, but what you will be done. Christ is under tremendous anguish, the point of death. Some of the other gospels says he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. The word Gethsemane means press, an olive press. And Jesus in Gethsemane is under the press and the weight of what awaits him. It's a testing of his own soul because his own flesh bearing this awful thought that he would bear the awfulness of pain and shame and sorrow and condemnation and the full wrath of the cross. It was a test. Which will will he obey? The will of his flesh 
his body, his own self-preservation, his own well-being? Or will he fulfill the desires of the one who sent him? Not the desires of him as a man, fully man, but the desires of the one who sent him. And isn't that the battle that every one of us face? Listen. He had to face this own trial, even in his own ministry. Jesus was tempted. This isn't the first time he was tempted. You remember right after his baptism, he's driven by the Spirit into the wilderness, and there he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and he becomes hungry, and the evil one comes to him and begins to tempt him. And the first temptation is, why don't you turn these stones into bread? But Jesus, he says, why don't you satisfy the needs of your flesh? But Jesus said, isn't the scripture written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You remember, secondly, he's taken to the temple and, and to the, temp, the pinnacle of the temple, and he says, cast yourself down. Doesn't the scripture say, on their hands they shall bear you up and not... Um, uh, not allow you to strike your foot on a stone. But Jesus said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. What is he tempted? Tempted him to satisfy himself, his flesh. He's tempted to sensationalism and self-promotion. But he rejects that. He's tempted by the evil one. He takes him to a high mountain, showing him all the kingdoms. And he says, why don't you fall down and worship me? But he says, you be gone, Satan. The scripture says you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him alone. He tempts him with honor and the world's prestige and power. And he's trying to tempt his flesh. But Jesus came not to serve himself, not for sensationalism, not for his own ego power. Jesus came to carry out the will of his Father who sent him. But the first sin of the first man and the first woman we see in the garden, in, in that first garden, the first man and woman, they reject God's will. They reject God's command. And they say to themselves, not your will, but mine be done. It's all about me serving me, my wishes, my desire, my hungry to be more like God, that the food was good, to make one wise, that it looked good to the taste and to the eyesight. It's what I want, I desire, what pleases my flesh. It's about me. And so they reject God's command in order to satisfy their own, what they think is their need. So they move to exalting self over God. This is the very nature of temptation and sin itself. James said concerning the source of quarrels and fights within a church fellowship. He says, what is the source of your quarrels and fights? Isn't it your pleasures and your passion? Your desires, your preferences, your wants, and they wage war in your members? Again, it's not my desires, 
it ought to be God's desire in my life. Amen. I see this all the time in counseling. Whether it's a marriage or a church or a pastor or a congregation, a, a conflict, it's usually about my needs not being met, my desires not being satisfied. It's all about me, about selfishness in my life. But Jesus defeats the enemy at this very place. He said, it's not my will, but thine be done in my life. It's all about you, Father, and obeying you. And that's where temptation is defeated and the victory is won. Amen? Now listen, when you're entering into temptation, you are not alone because our Savior is tempted in all ways, yet without sin. And let me tell you what, when you're temptation, tem tempted, and when you're tempted to set aside what God wants and live for yourself, understand this, believer. Jesus Christ is our sympathetic high priest, and he comes to the aid of those who are tempted. That's our great Savior. He drank that cup of testing and temptation. Secondly, he drank the cup of betrayal and denial. He knows what that's like. Anybody here ever been betrayed in your life? Denied? Jesus was betrayed by one of his own, Judas. He was bartered away for money. Greed and idolatry reigned in the heart of Judas. Satan had entered into his heart and his life and his thinking. See, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own. Betrayed with one that he ate with, one that he taught, one that he had been on mission trips with, one that he had prayed with. He was betrayed by one who had called to journey with him. He's betrayed by one of his very own. He's betrayed by one in the upper room that he knelt at his feet and washed his feet. Betrayed. Real betrayal doesn't come at the hand of an enemy. You expect an enemy to treat you that way. But betrayal comes at the hand of a friend or a family or somebody that you care for. In verse number 50, it says, all left him. In verse number 27, Jesus said, you will all fall away. You'll all stumble. I'll strike the shepherd and the, the, and, and the sheep will scatter. And Peter said, Lord, if everybody else leaves you, I'll never leave you. If everybody else denies you, I will never deny you. You can bank on that. I don't care. Even if I have to die, I will not deny you. He said, Pete, Listen, you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And everybody else jumped in with Peter and said, yeah, we're, we're all with you all to the end. And verse number 50 says, and they all left him. You ever felt betrayed? You ever felt undermined? Have you ever felt abandoned in the deep, hard trials of your life? You ever been lied about when you're trying to do the very best thing or the right thing? Let me say something. Jesus knows your pain. 
And he suffered betrayal. And he drank that cup. Now listen to me. But Hebrews 13 says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's with us forever. Amen. Amen. He drank a cup of injustice, didn't he? Was Christ dealt with justly? No. Notice in verse number 48, he said to those who came out, the chief priests and religious leaders, scribes and elders, they come to him with staves and swords and to bind him, to arrest him, to put him in chains. He said, you've come with swords and clubs to arrest me? As you would a robber? Every day I was in the temple teaching. You didn't seize me there. Hmm. He said, you didn't come to me in the light of day, but you came in the cloak of darkness. And they came because they wanted to kill him. They mocked him as they took him away as a prophet. They made accusations against him, yet all of their accusations didn't add up. They mocked him as a prophet. They blindfolded him. They pulled his beard. They spit on his face. They said, who slapped you now, you prophet? They took him before Pilate. Did Pilate give him justice? No, he didn't. He was accused as being this king, this threat to Rome. They brought their accusations to Pilate. Pilate examines him closely. And Pilate says, I find no injustice, no wrong in him, but justice wasn't served. He said, I'll give you a, a, a prisoner and let him free. They, they said, we want Barabbas, a notorious criminal, to be set free and the just one to be condemned. And Jesus dies. He's sentenced to death like a criminal to a heinous Roman cross. It was injustice. Bible says Christ died for our sins once for all. Listen, the just one for unjust ones, that he might bring us to God. Have you ever been treated unjustly? Treated wrongly? Have you ever tried to do something that was right, but you were treated like you were doing something wrong? Falsely accused. Falsely judged. Now, how did Jesus respond to this injustice? Gives us a clue how we should. Peter writes, while being reviled, he reviled not in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 7 says, he was as a lamb before his shearers, silent, and he opened not his mouth. You see, what he did is he trusted God. When somebody treats you unjustly, here's the key. You keep loving God and you keep loving them and trust God to deal with the injustice. When you, let me tell you, judge of all the earth is above your pay grade. So you're not judge. 
he is. Amen? Amen. Next, it was a cup of suffering, wasn't it? He suffered in your place. He was scourged when they sentenced him. He was scourged at the hands of the Romans, shredding his back with an instrument called a cat of nine tails. They took rods and they beat him. They made fun of him. They jeered him. They mocked him. The priest mocked him as a prophet. The soldiers mocked him as a king. If he's a king, he needs a scepter. They put a reed in his hand. If he's a king, he needs a crown. They crown thorns on his head. If he's a king, he needs a robe, and they paraded him after they abused him, made sport of him, and he suffered. They beat him. They said, carry your own cross outside to the place called Golgotha, the skull, Calvary. There he's going to die with criminals. They'd stripped him naked before the assembly, shameful, scornful. But he was bearing our pain. They took him outside of the city, they nailed him to a cross, and they hung him on that cross. He was bearing the curse of men. And he bore our pain. He suffered for our sins. He was bearing our sickness. We have a Savior that suffered for us. In Hebrews chapter number 2, verse number 17, are you suffering, my friend? Listen. Therefore, he had to be made like his brother in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people, for since he himself was tempted in, what he, in which, that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Our Savior suffered so that you and I might not suffer. Our Savior died so that we would not die. Our Savior paid the full penalty of our sin so that we might not have to pay that full penalty of our sin. Because we are saved by him, by his love for us. Surely, Isaiah said, chapter 4, chapter 53, verse 4, our griefs he himself bore, our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has called the iniquity, caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. It's the cup of loneliness. I submit to you, no one was ever more lonely than Jesus when he died on the cross for our sins. He asked the disciples, pray with me that you enter not in temptation. Pray with me in the anguish of his soul. He knew about loneliness, betrayal, forsaking of his own. But then there was another sense of loneliness 
that no other man who walked the face of the earth has fully known. He quotes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Wow. You ever felt alone? Isolated. He knows. He understands your loneliness. He drank the cup of sorrows and shame. He took our sins, shame, and our sorrows, and he made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary, and he suffered and died alone. You ever felt ashamed? You ever felt like Isaiah? Woe is me, for I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. So we know that we are filled with shame and sorrow and our own grief. But the Lord has made atonement for your sin and for mine. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our shame and sorrows and guilt and grief, he's paid for in the cross of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It was a cup of wrath that he drank. The full wrath of God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our part that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The word propitiation means that God's holy wrath poured out on sinful man was completely satisfied because the sinless man died for sinful man and a holy God was satisfied by a holy sacrifice on the cross. And you cannot pay for your sins and I cannot pay for my sins, but there is one, one only, that is a spotless son of God, the perfect lamb of God, a perfect man for imperfect men, died before a perfect God that he might make us right with him. That is glorious. And he drank the cup to the very dregs. That's what Jesus did for us. My sin, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole thing, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. Amen. I just had a fit. <laughs> it's glorious, my friends. This cup is the cup of salvation. There's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man comes to the Father except through me. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. And whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because he drank that cup, and now the cup is offered to you to have eternal life in his name. That is glorious. Good news.
Father, thank you for what our Savior suffered. Thank you for the salvation he secured. In Jesus' name, amen.